0: looking up to American basketball and NBA. Everyone was talking about the NBA there. And so it was a good thing for us to win every game because then they would respect us and want to go to dinner with us, which was our means of sharing the gospel with them through um, eating dinner and talking with them, getting to know them, and sharing the gospel with them. And so we were undefeated, so that was awesome and we were the first CBU team to be undefeated, so we're the best. Um, Yeah, and so they respected us, we got to share the gospel every night, which was insane and a blessing, and we had local people play on the team with us uh, against the other teams, and some of them weren't Christian before CBU comes every year, and now they are, which is just amazing, but some of them aren't, and They also said that we shared the gospel the most out of every team that went there. So that was pretty cool. But there's one person in particular. He played with us almost every game. His name was Kelvin. And he is Buddhist. His family is all Buddhist. And it was just really hard to hear that he can't be a Christian because if he does, his family will disown him and kick him out of the family and have nothing to do with him. And that's basically like his whole life goal, to work with his family. And it's just so hard to hear that, like, on the other side of the world, someone has to deal with that when we can just say we're Christian whenever we want. So he's, like, been on my heart. And especially yesterday, like, take your own cross at the women's luncheon. That definitely hit me hard because that's what he has to do. And it's so much easier for us here to do that. So, yeah. And there's also a story about my field worker said. And he was having dinner outside. Lots of, like, the places to eat are outside and he was just having dinner with his friends and a pastor, and he was leaving, and he got home, and he he had this whole group chat with them, and when he went home, he looked at it, and he was the only person left in the group chat with the pastor, and so he took himself out and realized later that the pastor was kidnapped, and he hadn't, he hasn't been seen for two years, and his family is like super worried and no one knows what's going on and it was a huge government thing where they like like got to his car and took him and is yeah or horrible so it's crazy to think that on the other side of the world that's happening and also the Malay people who live there they have to be Muslim by law and if they aren't they can be killed or taken away just like the pastor which is crazy to think about naturally met someone who's Christian but has to be undercover Uh, Muslim, which was really sad. And also, I talked to mainly Buddhist people, and it's crazy to think like, just the song we were singing about, like, God is above all these other gods, and it was insane, like, actually seeing that, going to temples and all these places, seeing all these gods that they don't even know what they're worshiping for, just for good luck or anything, and they don't realize that there's only one true God, and that's what we were trying to get to them. And there's just so many different, like, things, like, levels of hell, and they burn everything just so they can get their ancestors. They're feeding, like, pigeons and monkeys because they could be their ancestors. It's just kind of crazy to see that. And one thing that really hit me there was that I might not get to see these people again. I might not get to go back to Malaysia. But it was really cool to think that some people who I met, they're Christians. I'm going to be able to see them again in heaven even if it's not here on this earth, and that's like just something amazing about God. We get to see people who we might not ever get to see again in the best place in the world. And I also realize that you don't have to travel across the world to share the gospel. A lot of times we would share the gospel and it was the first time that they heard, which was insane and awesome. But you don't have to travel the world. I'm sure there's people here that might think they know who Jesus is, but they have, really have no idea. And so it would, just like the ministry that I started, like we can share the gospel locally and just like get the God's word into their hearts and minds and stuff like that. So, And also, like worshiping a God now right here made me realize that literally like 15 hours ago, they were worshiping God in Malaysia. So while we were asleep, people are already worshiping God across the world, which is really crazy and awesome. So, yeah, this shift really made me aware that you can share the gospel wherever, and any conversation you can bring it up, even if you just met the person like 30 minutes ago. And, yeah, so this shift really changed my life and my perspective on life. So, thank you for supporting me and doing this. And I really hope I can do something like this forever. So, thank you.
1: No, you're good. You're good. Sorry. (laughs) If you want to keep doing it, you can. You can do it forever, Emily. We hope you do and, and hope that your team came away with the same outlook as you do and it 's a good lesson for all of us about what 's going on outside of that there 's a world outside of our of our little church and our in and our safety and comfort zone which I really love by the way, but we need to be praying for the Christians all around the world who who suffer like this on a daily basis that 's their real life so with that said let 's pray for them now, and then we 'll stand up and greet everybody and, and start our service Lord God, first of all, thank you so much for given Emily a heart to go out into a a world that she's not familiar with, and most of us will never see. And I thank you, Lord, for using her in a mighty way. I pray that each and every conversation that she had, uh, just a little seed was sown in the hearts of the men and women that she spoke to or saw and played basketball with or had dinner with. And even if she didn't say one word, we know that your spirit will still move because your people were there. And so we ask for that, Lord God. We pray that you would... Protect all the believers in the other part of that world, Lord, right there. They would be safe. We pray for that pastor, wherever he is right now, Lord God, that you would comfort him and protect him and keep evil far from him, Lord God, and help his family and church to find him and comfort them as well as, as they're, just, they're just going through so much, I'm sure, Lord God, not knowing where somebody is that you love. And so we pray for him, Lord God, and we thank you now for this day that you've given us to continue to worship you and to learn about you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning once again. So again, I really mean it's great to have Emily back and to hear hear her stories. And I'm sure she has a lot more that she could share. So talk to her when you get a chance. That would be great. So let's pray again. Lord God, we are so thankful to be here this day and to live in a place where we could proclaim your word boldly and to live out loud, Lord God. And I pray that you would give us the power to do that. And Lord God, as we look at your word this morning, that we would learn from it and see how each and every one of us, Lord God, could go out into our world, in our neighborhoods and schools and workplaces and bring honor and glory to you. And so we pray that you would show us how to do that through your word this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 21. The title of this morning's message is The Watchman. And we're not talking about a guy that makes watches. We're talking about that person you could imagine who would go up on top of a tower in maybe the ancient civilizations and look out over this kingdom or look out over a field to protect, to warn his people about some impending danger. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I thought of the, you may have heard of a guy named Paul Revere. The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. I'm not going to talk too much about it because you always learn, well, he didn't really do that. But the main point is he was one who came in and informed the towns and the people that, hey, the British armies were coming. So he was, in a way, a watchman getting the town alert for what is coming. And that's exactly what a watchman did. He looked out and surveyed the area, saw danger coming, and then reported that danger. And so this morning, we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 21, and that's exactly what Isaiah is going to do. And so this morning, in chapter 21, we're going to read about three oracles, or three concerns that Isaiah gets in a vision. One of them is about Babylon, so there's an oracle about Babylon, an oracle of Edom, and an oracle of Arabia, that's another one. And in in these three oracles that we read, we're going to find two themes, and I'm going to really focus on one of them. The first theme is that there's a warning. What's going on is Isaiah's warning Judah, just like we've been studying over the past few chapters, about trusting in a foreign country. This one, this week, is about Babylon, not trusting in Babylon, then He also talks about Edom and Arabia, and these were also people that trusted in Babylon or allies of Babylon. And so Isaiah is telling them, don't trust in those countries because they will eventually fall or suffer. And so that's a theme that we'll see as we go through the text this morning. And the one that we're really going to focus on and find our application is the ministry that's described within those oracles that the Lord gave to Isaiah as a watchman. And that's going to be our application at the end of this morning's sermon. So I just wanted to give you a, kind of a little road map of what we're, what we're going to be doing and where we're going so you understand those things. So with that said, let's read the very beginning. We're going to, I'm not, normally I read through it and come back, but because it's a little bit longer, I'm going to read and explain as we go along. So chapter 21, let's read the first verse here. It says the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. As windstorms in the Negev sweeps on, it comes from the wilderness from a terrifying land. Read verse two. A harsh vision has been shown to me. The treacherous one still deals treacherously and the destroyer still destroys. Go up, Elam, lay siege, Medea. I have made an end of all the groaning she has caused. So Isaiah explains to us from the very beginning that he is getting a vision. And the wilderness of the sea is a description of Babylon. And so that's the first oracle, and this is in verses 1 through 10. So he's going to talk about Babylon being destroyed. And he gets this harsh vision, he says, in verse 2. Let's read that again. A harsh vision has been shown to me. And he gives us a quick summary. The treacherous one still deals treacherously. And the destroyer still destroys. So he's talking about somebody coming up to destroy the great kingdom of Babylon in the future. So he's seeing a vision. And the kingdom that's coming is the Medo-Persia kingdom. And that's what's described in the end of verse. To go up Elam, lay siege, Media or Medea. These are the Medo-Persian empire that's going to come and eventually overthrow Babylon. So he sees this in a vision. So, but this vision, as you'll see, really causes Isaiah some physical and mental anguish. Look how he describes his response to this vision in verses 3 through 5. Look at what he says. He says, for this reason, okay, the the vision that he's just had, for this reason, my loins are full of anguish, or his body is full of anguish. Pains have seized me like the pain of a woman in labor, I am so bewildered I cannot hear, so terrified I cannot see. My mind reels, excuse me, my mind reels. Horror overwhelms me. The twilight I long for has turned for me into trembling. They set the table, they spread out the cloth, they eat, they drink. Rise up, captains, oil the shields. So, here again, Isaiah is describing his response to this vision that he sees. It's a frightening vision to him. Think of it. His stomach is in pain, so much pain, he feels, you know, I don't know how familiar he is with pregnancy, but he's saying it's as if a woman is, you know, those pains that women have when they're going through childbirth or they're pregnant. He goes, These are the pains that I'm having. He's just in so much pain over there. He's so disturbed that he can't see, he can't hear. I mean, have you ever been in that much distress? Have you ever been so afraid of something that you can't see, you can't think, you're in pain, something's troubling you, you can't sleep? Again, he says, he's not sleeping, right? Verse four, my mind reels, or his mind is racing. How many of you at night have just been thinking of something, been so bothered at something that at night your brain won't shut off and you're thinking about it over and over again and it's overwhelming him? He says, the horror overwhelms me. He's really frightened. Something is going on. He's seen something so disturbing that it's making him sick, pretty much, is what's going on. So what is it that's troubling him so much? Even so much so, you look at verse 5. He describes at Babylon that they're feasting and he's trying to wake them up. He says, rise up, captains, oil your shields. Why? Because as a watchman, he sees the coming storm. It's like if you're trying to warn somebody, warn somebody and they don't see what's coming, you're yelling out to them and they're not aware of it. It's almost like if you have a little kid and they're about to run into the street and you see the car coming, you're, they don't see it. They just see the shiny thing maybe that they're running after. Maybe the balls went into the street and you as a parent or somebody that sees it is freaking out on this side and you're screaming out to them. They don't see it. This is what Isaiah is doing. But the interesting thing here is he's not so much screaming for Babylon because you might think, well, Babylon is the enemy or is going to take in captivity Judah eventually. And that's why Isaiah is saying, hey, Judah, don't trust them. They're going to fall too. He's actually mourning for his own people because they, by extension, Babylon's being attacked. And if Judah eventually is held as being oppressed in Babylon, they too will be attacked. And you'll see that in a few moments if that that's what's going on that's why he's so terrified he sees that his own people are going to suffer and it's troubling him so much so because again Isaiah has been sending his whole ministry trying to warn his people of the danger that's ahead and they don't see it and he sees the outcome that you know what they're not going to listen that's why he says look at verse 4 the second half of verse 4 He says, the twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. You always hear, well, morning's going to come. Well, that morning that he's looking for, going through night, that morning's going to come. It's not. It's going to lead to trembling because Judah eventually will not listen to Isaiah, and they will be taken into captivity by Babylon, and eventually they will suffer the result of this oppression that's coming on Babylon. And that is what's troubling him. If you even drop down to verse 10, just to continue with this thought of that he's suffering for his people, look at what he says. He says, oh, my threshed people and my afflicted of the threshing floor, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I make known to you. He's telling them this is going to happen and please listen, but they're not. And so it troubles them. Just like any parent would, right? You're telling your child to listen to you because you can see what's going to happen and they don't and it bothers you more than it does them. This is what Isaiah is going through. It's mental anguish. It's disturbing him so much. So let's continue on. So this is what's going on. But look at verse 6. So he tells us he sees a vision. It's troubling him so much. But in the midst of this, the Lord gives Isaiah a ministry. And look at verse 6. He says, for the Lord says to me, go station the lookout, let him report what he sees. So he wants him to be that lookout, that watchman, to go out and be a lookout and then report what you see. And this is what he's already doing. So carrying on, he says, or moving on, he says this. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, a train of donkeys, a train of camels, let him pay close attention Very close attention. So he wants Isaiah, okay, Isaiah, I'm going to set you up as the lookout. And I want you to look out and see the sign that is coming towards Babylon. And I want you to report it to the people. And I want you to pay close attention to this sign. Because when you see it, you need to react and warn not only Babylon, but Israel more importantly. And so that's what he's called to do. And so look at verse 8 now. It says this, Then the lookout called. So now he's doing what he's been told. He says, Then the lookout called. O Lord, I stand continually by day on the watchtower, and I am stationed every night at my guard post. So Isaiah is saying, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be there all day, all night, because that's his role as a prophet. He's the watchman for his people. And he's looking out. He's paying attention for the things that the Lord is telling him. Verse 9 says, Now behold, here comes a troop of riders, horsemen in pairs. And one said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And all the images of her gods are shattered on the ground. So, Isaiah, standing at the watchtower. This is the vision he gets. He's even getting a vision of himself of what's going to happen. He's going to see it. He's going to warn the people that they're coming. And then he's going to hear the Medo-Persian Empire saying that they have destroyed Babylon. That's why it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. All the images of her gods are shattered on the ground. So the Medo-Persian Empire is going to come in and wipe out Babylon, including all of her gods. And he's going to destroy the godless nation. And then we come to verse 10, which I read earlier. Because of this, this is what's troubling Isaiah so much is he sees that his people are going to get swept up in this as well. And again, that's why he says, Oh, my thresh people, my afflicted of the threshing floor, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I make known to you. So he knows of this coming destruction, and it's, it's just troubling him, and it's bothering him so much. And so that's the first oracle. And so again, I hope you see what Isaiah's position was, what his ministry was within that first oracle. And so let's move on to the second one. And this is just two verses. He says, the oracle concerning Edom. Remember, Edom is an ally of Babylon, so they are going to suffer a similar fate. And it says this, One keeps calling to me from Sire. Watchmen, how far gone is the night? Watchmen, how far gone is the night? So what he hears is he has officials from Edom coming to the watchman, who's Isaiah. So they're coming to the prophet of God, even though they don't believe in him. They don't believe in the God of Isaiah, but they know Isaiah has this spiritual connection. He's a representative of God, and they're going to him, Hey, tell us what's going on, or how long is this oppression going to go, basically is what they're saying. How far gone is the night? How far gone is the night? That's what he's saying. And this is what Isaiah says in verse 12. The watchman says, Morning comes, but also night. If you would inquire, inquire. Come back again. So what is he saying here? What he says, Morning comes, but also night. So it seems like he's saying there will be a reprieve of this oppression, but guess what? Right behind it is more oppression. Right after the morning, night is coming again. And then he gives them a kind of like an encouragement. Hey, even though this is going to happen, you guys could come back and talk to me again, almost like leaving the door open for a minis- an opportunity to minister to the pagan people. Come back. You can come back and inquire of me. That's, so that's a very short oracle there of, that Isaiah ha- has given of Edom. And, and again, the two points that I made at the very beginning is, number one, he's trying to warn Judah not to trust in foreign countries. And I want to point out, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, the application is... Isaiah's ministry, even to a foreign country. People who do not believe in God, they see him as a prophet of God. They know that he is the one that has divine revelation, and he would see more than themselves and understand the sign of the times. It might be similar. You might have some experience in your own life where people are aware that you are a believer and you go to church and you read the scriptures, and they might come to you when they're in trouble. And never before have they wanted to talk to you about your faith, but they know who you are, they've seen your witness, and so when they go through hard times, they may come to you. That's what's happening here with Isaiah, is these people, there's bad things happening, their gods don't have answers, their wise people don't have answers, so they come to Isaiah and ask, hey, why don't you tell us what's going on? And so we see that there. And then thirdly, let's look at the last oracle concerning Arabia, And so Isaiah is speaking to Arabia because they too, again, were allies with Babylon. And again, he's pointing out to Judah that you cannot trust, put your hope in Arabia either. And look at what he says. Verse 13, the oracle about Arabia. In the thickets of Arabia, you must spend the night, O caravans of Dedanites. So he foresees these these band of Dedanites, which you'll see is they're coming out of war looking for a place to stay. And he's saying, you're going to spend the night in the thickets of Arabia. And then he calls out to the inhabitants of the land. Bring water for the thirsty, O inhabitants of the land of Tema. Meet the fugitive with bread, for they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword and from the bent bow and from the press of battle. For thus the Lord said to me, in a year as a hired man would count it, all the splendor of Kedar will terminate. And the remainder of the number of the bowmen and the mighty men of the sons of Kedar will be few, for the Lord God of Israel has spoken. So here in this third oracle, Isaiah again sees refugees of war coming out of the war-torn areas and looking for food, looking for water. And so Isaiah calls out, Hey, comfort these people. Look at these people coming out ravaged by war. They're tired. They're few. Feed them. So once again, you see Isaiah's ministry is not only as a watchman to warn of the impending danger, but also to aid and help those who are afflicted. And so that's what we see in these three oracles. Very short, and, but I think they're very profound in their application. And so let's move into the application of the text. So as I had mentioned at the very beginning, I want to point out what a watchman is does and that's what we saw through isaiah and what about the role of a watchman in the church today which we'll see so the role of the watchman is three things and these will come up number one they're engaged in keeping watch over the land which we saw that's what isaiah did number two they would report the danger that they see so it's not just one that you notice it but you need to do something with that information and thirdly the role of a watchman is that they would prescribe comfort. And you saw that with Isaiah, with the Dedanites, as they were coming out of the war-torn areas, Isaiah was saying, hey, let's take care of these people. They're suffering. They've been ravaged by war, and they're thirsty, and they're hungry, so let's do that. So that's the role of the watchmen. Again, they're engaged in keeping watch over land. They would report the danger that they see, and they would prescribe comfort. So I hope you see the connection with us because the church today is the watchman, if you think about it. You and I are called to be watchmen in this world. The church global, the church universal, but also us as individual believers, we are called to be watchmen as well. And those three things that I pointed out, I'm going to show you, those are the three things that each and every one of us need to be involved in as well. And number one is this, we engage in keeping watch over people. Excuse me, we engage in keeping watch over people as well. So the watchman overwatched the land of his people, and you and I are also to be engaged in keeping watch over people. Well, who do we watch over? Well, you'll like this one, number one, yourself. You should watch over yourself. That is very important. I'm not saying neglect yourself. But we as Christian believers are called to watch over ourselves and there's a, bit, there's a ton of verses about this and I'm just going to share one. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 and let's look at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says this. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. So there's the picture of watching, right? Just like somebody who was a watchman on the tower, they would be sober and alert so they could see what's going on Peter's calling the Christian believer to also be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Each and every one of us needs to realize that we as believers are in a spiritual battle. We don't see it. It would be kind of freaky to actually see all the forces that are against us. But we need to be sober and we need to be alert. Because the enemy looks for our defeat. So as watchmen or watchwomen, you watch your own faith, your own Christian faith. You need to watch over yourself. Be sober, be alert. Don't do things that would get you to not pay attention to what you're doing, that would knock you off your path. Stay sober, stay alert, be vigilant. And again, there's many verses that we could go to, but I just wanted to give you one directive from the New Testament. So not only are we engaged as watchmen to watch over ourselves, but the watchman watched over who? The other people of the land, his own people. And we as Christian believers and we as Renaissance Christian church are called to watch over each other. We're called to watch over each other. And we believe this so much so that we talk about this in our membership classes, that we're responsible for one another. And as a member of the church, you're giving us you are consenting, whether you knew it or not, that we are going to help you. We're going to watch over you. We want to be part of your life, your spiritual life for sure. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's look at verses 4 through 11, and we'll see how we are to keep watch over each other. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 4, starts there, But you, brethren, are not in, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. So the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica. And he says this, For all of you are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Again, there's those words, alert and sober, because you're being watchful. You can see what's going on. He says, For those, for those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. And look at what he says now. Therefore, because of this, because of our faith, encourage one another, build up, one another just as you also are doing so the command is hey church be alert be sober be watchful so that you can encourage one another and build each other up and that's what we do that's why we have bible studies that's why we get together on sunday morning so that we can build each other up we can hold each other accountable and watch each other's back spiritually and so you miss that part of your Christian walk if you're not involved in the church. You miss your brother and sister watching over you, taking care of you, and you miss doing that as well when you're not involved. It's very important. It's a very important of our Christian, a very important part of our Christian walk. I also like the book of Hebrews. Turn a few books over to the book of Hebrews looking at verses 12 through 13 of chapter 3 that talk about this as well says this, Take care, brethren, that there, are not, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So he's talking about, hey, watch your brothers so that they don't fall away from the Lord, that they don't start backsliding or you know, stop being involved in growing in their faith. Very important. Right? Take care, brethren, again, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Instead, what are we to do? But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, we watch each other so that we don't fall away. That's why we care about you. That's why we ask how you're doing. Can we pray for you? Can we encourage you? Very vital to the growth of our church and of you individually that we engage in watching over one another so that we can encourage one another to grow. So the church is the watchman of the day, right? And we do that by engaging and keeping watch over each other and ourselves. But not only do we do that, just like the watchman and Isaiah was told, but we report the danger that we see. Meaning we warn each other of impending danger in each other's lives. Again, just like you would for your child, if you said, hey, you know, if you get involved in that, you know, this is going to happen. I'm just warning you. I'm trying to keep you from that. We should do the same thing with one another in the church. And let's look at a couple of verses that I think would describe that happening. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 25. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. It says this, the Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So you're warning them, encouraging them that, "Hey, if you do fall, you need to repent and turn. I'm watching after you. I care for you. I don't want you to fall away from the Lord." And so that's what the Lord's bondservant is supposed to do. gently correcting. That's the key, right? When we're correcting our brother and sister in the Lord, we do it gently, correct them, knowing that we too are susceptible to falling away from the Lord. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul addresses this as well in chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 2. He says, Brethren... Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. So here, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, if your brother or sister falls into temptation, then go back and bring them back. Encourage them. You who are spiritual, restore such a person don't beat them down they already know that they messed up don't go why did you mess up what's wrong with you that's maybe what you want to do sometimes right but once you gather yourself and don't do that hey they're hurting encourage them to get back up stand up and keep moving forward right scripture says that a righteous man falls seven times and he gets up he doesn't just stay down there and he doesn't need his brother or sister berating him while he's on the ground. Get them up. They know they've made a mistake and you too will make a mistake one day. You want your brother and sister to pick you up, warn you of those dangers. So you report that to your brother and sister. Don't get involved in that. You're going to fall. Something's going to happen. But when they do and if they do, then you bring them back. Right. So we want to warn each other of impending danger. That's within the church But the watchman is also supposed to warn the world outside. That's our job as well. We share the gospel with the world outside, just like Emily did as she went to Malaysia. So we report the danger. Hey, if you worship these gods, this is what's going to happen. You need to repent of your sins and come to the Lord, or else you will suffer the consequence of not doing that. And it can be heartbreaking. Breaking and gut-wrenching, if you think about what could happen to a person who does not repent, we don't always like to talk about that, right? We don't maybe mention it too much in Bible studies, and we don't have, hey, next week we're going to study the doctrine of hell and eternal suffering. Who's in? And then probably not too many of us, right? But it's in there. Guess what? That's what, each, that's what we believe as a church That salvation leads to eternal life and the refusing of salvation leads to eternal damnation. Think about that for a moment. Each and every one of us knows somebody who does not know the Lord and that is the end for them. We need to report that danger. I was very moved the other day when I was reading a book that's called Worldly Saints. There's a very convicting Section, and I want to read it to you. And it's going to be an old Puritan language, so hopefully it's you can follow it. It's not too bad, actually. And it's the section on family. And thankfully, this would never happen. But he's he wants you to imagine, he says, What if your own child went to hell? Because you did not tell them about God. And this is what he says: he says, Imagine that a child on judgment day addressing his parents who neglected their training or training him up in the ways of the Lord. So this is a child addressing his mother or father for refusing to share the gospel with him. Okay, look at what he says. Now, this isn't really going to happen, so don't be like, hey, dude, you're putting like a heavy burden on me. But in some sense, it is the case if we neglect to tell people about the word of God. He says this. And so this, the child writes, all this that we here suffer, so he's, he's in hell, so all this that we suffer is through you. You should have taught us the things of God and did not. You should have restrained us from sin and corrected us and you did not. You were the means of our original corruption and guiltness and yet you never showed any competent care that we might be delivered from it. Woe unto us that we had such carnal and careless parents. And woe unto you that you had no more compassion and pity to prevent the everlasting misery of your own children. Think of that, that like I'm not Again, I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but this is the reality of it, that we may know people who may spend their eternal life suffering for their sins and justly, now, do you really believe that? If you do, then why are you not sharing the gospel more with those who you love? We all, believe me, I don't, that's not something I like to talk about, but it's the reality. That's what scripture says, and we believe it. Now, again, nobody's going to sit there and say, hey, it was your fault that I'm here. No, everyone's responsible for their own sins, and they will pay for that. But just imagine that for a moment, that you neglected to tell somebody about the Lord for whatever reason and that's they're like hey I never knew why why didn't you tell me it would be like you know I'm training when you train your child how to drive and not warning them of the dangers of driving they're like I didn't know why didn't you tell me I can't do that or I wasn't supposed to go there now I crashed or whatever it is the same principle holds here and when I read that I was just like wow I don't want to have that burden on me you know if if somebody's there It's because they chose to be there. They chose to neglect the offer of Christ, step over the offer of Christ, and go there themselves. They have nobody to blame but themselves. So we as a church, we're the watchmen. We're supposed to be out there warning and telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ when we have the opportunity. We're warning them about that impending danger. So... The church is the watchman, today's watchman. Number one, we're engaged in keeping watch over ourselves and each other, and we report the danger that we see to one another in the church and to those outside. And then finally, we're also called to comfort one another. Remember Isaiah, when the Dedanites were coming out of war, he said, give them food, give them water to satisfy themselves, comfort them, take care of them. We as the church are also to do that as well. We're supposed to do that in the church. We're called to take care of the household of God first. That's our first responsibility, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So we're called to help the weak within the church, the weak among us. You know, we're called to take care of widows and orphans, even within the church. And then... In a moment, we'll see also outside. Romans 15, one says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. And this can be very convicting. How involved are you in this church of finding out who needs help? You're not just taking care of your own self. You know, we believe as a church, one of our mottos is to serve others, right? Seek God, serve others. That's within that we're here to serve one another. And if we're not doing that, we're kind of missing the point of church. You know, we're, maybe you don't know the needs of everybody, but if you're giving financially on a regular basis, then the elders know who has needs and you're doing it through us and you're blessed because of that. But Christianity is a, is a team sport, Pastor John always says, like that he says that we're, we're here to help each other. It's not just about me. Christianity is not a selfish religion It's about others. It's about putting others first. And that's what Paul says in Romans 51. He says, bear weakness with one another or with those without strength. And not just please yourself. It's not just about you. It's not just about you. There's a whole world within this church and outside who's hurting, who's suffering, who needs compassion, who needs prayer. Who maybe needs a meal, a blanket, or something We need to open our eyes, so to speak, and see the world around us. That's what we're called to do, to comfort one another. And not only that, we need to do it on the outside as well. Again, we first start within the church and then those outside. We're not to turn a blind eye to those in need just because they're not Christians. We need to help other people outside. We can pray for them. We can listen to them. We can give them tangible help. And like Isaiah, we can make it easy for them to come back and ask for help from you remember those people that came to isaiah and he said hey when you want inquire again he left that door open again when a non-believer comes to you for help are you there for them to help them maybe you're going to when you do that you're going to get an opportunity later to share the gospel with them and i just want to piggyback on emily's testimony there again they played basketball made that connection then had dinner showed interest and then they might earn the chance to share the gospel with them. And that's what we need to do as well in our own world. Show compassion, pray for them, listen to them, give them tangible help, and then they'll come back because they saw something different in you than they do in anybody else. And it may give you that opportunity to share the gospel with them. So let's be the watchman in this world. Again, as a church, let's engage in keeping watch over ourselves and each other here in this church Let's report that danger when we see them walking down the wrong path, right? I give you permission to tell me as a pastor, as a fellow member of this church, hey, if you see me walking the wrong path, then warn me. And third and lastly, let's comfort one another when we need help in the church and those outside the church. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the power of your word how we can learn so much from the prophet Isaiah who was obedient to you to be the watchman for his people. I pray this morning that you would help each and every one of us to be the watchman in this church for our brothers and sisters that sit next to us and behind us and in front of us, that we would be watchmen to those outside the world who do not yet know about you. Lord God, that we might, when we get the opportunity, share the gospel with them. And until we do, Lord, help us to pray for them. Put that burden on us like you did for Isaiah. May we not sleep. May our brains race because we love people so much that we want them to know you. And so give us those opportunities, Lord God. Give us not only the opportunities, Lord, but give us the courage to speak to somebody, to pray for somebody, to just show an act of kindness to somebody in your name so that they, Lord God, might come to know you. So help us to do that this week. Put somebody on our heart and help us to be the watchman for them. And not only that, Lord, help us to be the watchman in our own lives. We struggle in various areas in our life, Lord God. May we be sober and alert and diligent for the enemy roams around like a lion seeking to devour us and our families and our children's our children, and our country. So may we be watchmen for this world, Lord God. Give us the power through your Holy Spirit to do that. We pray this in your name. Amen.